Today on Ag News Daily. Uh, we're starting to see rain really start to add up in portions of west central Illinois and parts of eastern Iowa. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Delaney Howell here, back in God's country on the Ag News Daily podcast, aka that's Iowa for some of you folks that may be mistaken in thinking that your states are God's country. No, I just kid. I just kid, but it feels good to be back in the home state of Iowa after having a long sunburnt week in Florida. I'm not complaining, don't get me wrong, but uh, definitely always feels good to get home after a trip away. I am flying solo today on this uh, Friday afternoon, and it's a kind of a dreary day out here in central Iowa, at least, and I know many folks have been antsy to get into the field, or maybe in some instances I've been starting to see some Twitter pictures, some Instagram pictures of folks either chopping silage or finally starting to get combines actually rolling. So I think today's conversation with Ed Valley to talk a little bit about the short-term forecast here over the next couple of weeks, as well as what he sees longer term for this growing season and into the winter is very fitting for today's Friday episode, so do stay tuned for that, folks. And I know, I just want to say a special shout-out here to a couple of folks, but uh, in particular, I want to give a special shout-out to Henry from Rank Seed. I know that he has been telling people about the Ag News Daily podcast. So Henry, if you're listening, thanks for continuing to spread the message of Ag News Daily. And I also want to give kind of my own personal plea to you folks. I know that we have so many interesting listeners that do interesting things within agriculture, whether they're farming directly or selling seed or maybe doing some sort of neat technology function or trading the commodity markets. We'd like to hear from you. We are constantly searching for interviews on the Ag News Daily podcast. We've, of course, got our favorites that we like to turn to for interviews and content, but there are always other great stories out there. So, folks, please reach out to us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Ag News Daily, or you can personally shoot me an email, Delaney at agnewsdaily.com, if you know of somebody that you think would make an interesting story for Ag News Daily. But with all that being said, we've got to talk about the world of news and what's going on in the agricultural news world this week. Of course, a big announcement this week has been the Japanese trade deal or the proposed Japanese trade deal not finalized yet. However, more details are beginning to trickle out about that alleged trade deal. The deal itself, as we've mentioned before on the podcast, would eliminate or cut about $7.2 billion worth of U.S. ag commodities. But a little more information to add to that is about 88% of the roughly $14 billion worth of U.S. ag exports that we currently send over to Japan would either be tariff-free or receive preferential treatment once this new deal is in place. The scheduled, t- the scheduled timeline that we now also have as part of some more information coming out is that it is scheduled to be tentatively implemented starting January 1st, which is really just right around the corner when you think about it. It is apparently aimed to give us very much the same type of agreement that we would have had within the TPP or Trans-Pacific Partnership with Japan specifically. And so it appears to be a pretty good deal for agriculture. I think a lot of folks in the Trump administration are very excited, yet to be seen really what agriculture 
what it means for agriculture other than removing some tariffs, but it would be great if we could continue to send more products out to our countries in Japan. But of course, the major commodity groups have all congratulated the administration or seeming optimistic that this trade deal will be a bright spot for agriculture. It appears another bright spot for agriculture for those folks that are producing row crops. We saw the USDA announce just yesterday a new announcement in regards to the prevent plant acres for this year's crop year. There was a lot of hubbub around that. You know, would the MFP payments apply to prevent plant acres? Would we get some sort of disaster aid bill? Would we get some allocation dollars from there? But it appears as of yesterday, the USDA has announced that producers currently participating in federal crop insurance who had a 2019 payable prevent plant indemnity related to either flooding, access moisture, or causes other than drought will automatically receive a top-up payment. And that will begin to be dispersed here starting in mid-October. So what does that top-up payment look like? I think is the big question I've seen so far on Twitter. We're going to work to have an insurance folk talk to us next week on the podcast to really dive into what that means. However, it sounds like essentially those producers with a yield protection and revenue protection with the harvest price exclusion will receive a 10% top-up payment while producers with revenue protection will receive a 15% payment. You don't have to sign up to receive these payments, and all producers that have these price options featured into their insurance will already receive that from their insurance companies starting in mid-October. According to USDA's Undersecretary for Farm Production and Conservation, Bill Northey, he said it was a really challenging season for many farmers. It was challenging for the USDA to figure out how they were going to compensate farmers and figure out how to help them during this unusual growing season. And this has been their latest, I guess, proposal, if you will. So if you have more questions, I'm sure you can always reach out to your local FSA offices who should have a little more information since they are, of course, a branch of the USDA. Otherwise, like I mentioned there, I think we're going to try and have someone on the podcast, maybe even Undersecretary Norley himself, who can chat a little bit more about how this works with that top-up so-called prevent plant claim means. But I think that's a, a welcomed sigh of a relief for a lot of folks. And, and as well as, you know, maybe not because a lot of folks I know made some different decisions opposing or electing not to take prevent plant because they thought they weren't going to be compensated as well as potentially the MFP payments. So I think there is a little bit of disgruntlement across agriculture that USDA wasn't transparent in this. But uh, I'm not stating one word or the other what my opinion is. Just some some facts and things I've observed on Twitter. And as we're uh, looking back over at the trade scene, just came out here as I started recording today's podcast, and that's USMCA talks are picking up. The Democrats are apparently, House Democrats specifically, are apparently suggesting that they have reached an agreement to resolve some of those remaining obstacles to pass the USMCA agreement, including labor discussions as well as border security. 
and House Ways and Means Chairman Committee or Committee Chairman, excuse me, Richard Neal on Friday told reporters that he expects a vote to ratify the deal still within this year, this calendar year, before they head out to recess in December, and said that they've been having quite a few meetings with other House Democrats as well as U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer. However, the House is set to recess for the next two weeks, and they said work will not stop during that break. So whatever that means, whoever will continue working on it may be more of the aides and assistance of those Congress folks. But they said they've responded very favorably to having Lighthizer there and his latest counterproposal, but uh, don't have really a timeline other than the end of this year to see really how fast that trade deal will get ratified and signed by Congress. So another update there for you folks on the trade front. I think really the other big piece of news that I had for today continues to be looking at what's going on with climate change and regenerative agricultural practices and really how agriculture is addressing some of those issues. Well, the Corteva CEO is pushing the industry to address climate changes. He says he believes farmers must play a very vital role in reducing greenhouse gas emissions and said that Corteva is not only working on this issue by themselves internally, but they're also looking at other companies externally, as well as academics and non-governmental organizations to help address the climate change issue. He said for so long... Agriculture has been blamed for these issues, and it's time to take the reins in our own, own hands, so to speak. And I'm, that's a paraphrase. I'm not quoting him verbatim, but he didn't really uh, give any mention as to what exactly they're doing other than reducing the carbon footprint. That's obviously been a big one, especially for the regenerative ag scene. And the other thing is focusing on runoff demonstrations and reducing environmental footprints but just interesting that a major company a major fortune 500 company is also taking the time to i guess come to the conclusion that agriculture could actually be the solution to the problem that so many lawmakers try to blame on agriculture instead but I think that is all of the news I have for today. Folks, do stay tuned here after the markets. Like I mentioned earlier, we'll get to the conversation with Ed Valley of Empire Weather, LLC. But taking a look at the commodity markets for today, we could not finish the week on a high note. Looking first here at the December corn contract, closed down a penny, to end at 371 and a half, while the March contract cut another penny as well, to end at 383 and three quarters. In the soybean pits, the November new crop contract down five and a half cents to close at 883 even. The January cut five and a quarter to close at 897 and a half. Wheat was the only winner for today with the Chicago contract adding 3 cents in the December futures markets to end at 487 and a quarter the march up 3 and a half to close at 493 and 3 quarters looking over into the livestock pits green across the screen in the cattle markets with the october contract up 207 to end at 10502 and a half the december added a dollar 82 to close at 11057 
In the feeder cattle pits, as I mentioned, the strength continues with the October contract adding a dollar twenty-two to close at one forty-four thirty-two and a half. The November up a dollar fifty-two and a half to close at one forty-two ninety-seven. In the lean hog pits, a little bit of mixed trade on the day with the October contract closing up a dollar oh five to end at sixty-five twenty-seven and a half, while the December shed fifty-two cents to close at sixty-nine eighty-five. And rounding out our markets with the Class 3 Dairy Futures, the October contract added $0.27 cents today to end at eighteen seventeen, while the November put on $0.19 cents to close at eighteen fourteen. And as promised, without further ado, let's kick it off with my conversation I had with weather consultant Ed Valley. Well, as harvest is starting to roll for many folks, weather is a huge concern. So we've got a friend of the podcast on today, Ed Valley of Empire Weather LLC. Ed, how are you doing today? Oh, just fine. How are you doing? I am not too bad. I was actually just down in Florida uh, this week. Got a little sunburn. Don't want to say that too loudly nice. for our folks up here in the Midwest getting hit with some <laughs> rains this week, though. <laughs> uh, yep, we're heading into the... Uh... In the harvest here, we got some things to talk about. That we do, that we do, Ed. I want to kick it off since we're talking on the subject of rain. You mentioned you've been having a lot of folks ask you what this season is going to look like. Is it going to be a wet harvest? Is it going to be an early frost? There's a lot of uncertainties out there. Yeah, and I think it's it's starting a lot earlier than than people would like to see with the rainfall. Uh, we're starting to see rain really starts to add up in, in portions of west central Illinois and parts of eastern Iowa. And it looks like here into the weekend, we're going to have a couple systems move on through. And it looks like we could be looking at areas of two to locally as much as four inches of rain in parts of southeastern Nebraska, getting up through a lot of southern Iowa and eastern Iowa. And that probably also s- extends into portions of northern and western Illinois too. So it's Definitely looking a little dicey here into the weekend. Ed, with all that being said, how far out then do you think that pushes folks who are trying to get into the field? I know moisture levels in parts of those countries, we've got some drier systems set up, but you still don't want to be running a combine if you're 30 plus on your moisture level. Right. And that is definitely what we're getting a lot of feedback on right now. And and a lot of guys especially across uh, west central Illinois, parts of southeastern Iowa. They're starting to get things rolling, and they're dodging the rain for the most part, but they don't want two, three, four inches of rain coming up. So this, this is going to definitely linger. I would say through about Wednesday of next week, we're going to have opportunities for rainfall across the Midwest. And, you know, depending if, if we get two, three, four inches of rain, that could push people back a week, 10 days, maybe even more. Jeez, that is not what you want to hear, seeing that we're already kind of setting ourselves up for a later harvest as is. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely not a good thing and definitely not something I want to be the messenger of. Right, right. Well, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, sorry to make you the bearer of bad news today, Ed. But <laughs> I'm used uh, to it. what are you hearing from some of your uh, your grower folks that have maybe gotten into the field? What are they seeing as far as the crop looks or maybe those moisture levels, the crop itself? Yeah, and it really depends on where you're at. Um, you know, a lot of my customers in central Illinois struggled throughout a lot of growing season with a lot of dryness after a very wet spring. So those areas really aren't as great as some would have hoped. 
Um, but from the feedback that I've gotten, generally okay across a lot of Iowa. And a lot of guys are just trying to kind of put together a plan and of attack as we get into the harvest season. And, and obviously the weather is not cooperating there. So it's, it really depends on where you're at. Uh, parts of eastern Kansas, a lot of my customers down that way, uh, had their beans flooded out last week by six to eight inches of rain. Um, while areas to the east, you go into southern Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, Kentucky, a lot of those areas are dry and, and are in some cases already rolling. So it's, it's a really big mixed bag. Um, and not only do we have all of that to deal with, the far northern belt, you go up into the prairies, they're going to be getting snow this coming weekend. So it's, we're, we're busy in the weather department. We'll put it that way. Yeah, and the, since you brought up the snow thing, that was going to be my next question for you. As you mentioned, they're mm-hmm. up in the Dakotas, Canada, Michigan, potentially getting some snow this weekend, Ed? Yeah, I, I think for the most part, the, the good thing about these September and very early October storms are that you really need a perfect setup to get it. And I think really the areas we need to be focusing on for anything meaningful in the way of accumulation is going to be up in uh, western Saskatchewan and up into Al- in southern Alberta. So those are the two areas we're watching for that. Further east, you get into the Dakotas, uh, eastern Saskatchewan, and parts of Manitoba. Luckily, it's just warm enough where I think it's mostly going to be rain. But either way, a lot of the southern prairies, upper Midwest, northern plains, and even parts of the Great Lakes are really going to be battling a lot of moisture over the next five days. And looking at a little bit longer term than this uh, idea that potentially we could see a early frost, which would eliminate some folks being able to get all of their crops out of ground. What do you see as far as a weather, weather pattern looking into November and December of, of this year? Yeah, so I guess the first thing to start off with, I like to, to kind of start that conversation with what is considered normal. And that's always important. I know we're dealing with a late crop, a late planted crop at least. So that, you know, normal might not necessarily be a good thing in a lot of places. But typically, you get towards this time of the year, the tail end of September, you should be looking at your first freeze in the far northern belt, the Dakotas, parts of Minnesota, obviously the prairies as well. The further south you get, typically it's either side of October 15th along I-80, and then even as late as November 15th in the far southern belt. So some pretty big differences depending on where you're at. But... Going forward here, I do think parts of the Dakotas, Minnesota, maybe into parts of northern Nebraska and far northern Iowa, could see a frost and or a freeze coming up later next week. Once we get rid of all of this moisture, a pretty cool air mass is going to follow here to end next week and and potentially last into next weekend. So it's, you know, close to average, really, but given the pace of this crop we're dealing with, normal might not necessarily be good. So that is something to watch later next week and into next weekend across uh, parts of the Dakotas and Minnesota, maybe into parts of northern Iowa and Nebraska. For the rest of us, I think we are safe at least for a few more weeks here. As we get into November, we are watching for potentially active conditions to continue across portions of the plains and upper Midwest. So I think Out of anybody, I think the upper Midwest and uh, northern plains are going to have the toughest conditions this harvest season with, obviously, the frost and the freeze, but also some moisture. So we we have some 
different impacts depending on where you're at, but definitely the further north and the further west you go, I think the more likely uh, there is uh, for some sort of earlier freeze and obviously some moisture as well. Ed, and I even hate to bring this up, but it feels like winter is also just right around the corner for our livestock producing friends that had to deal with the polar vortex, the really cold weather last year in January. Are we going to have any of that extreme winter weather this year? or How is it shaping up to look? Yeah, so the first kind of signals we're seeing definitely do point towards an active winter uh, with respect to moisture. And as of now, it does look like we could be dealing with uh, some December cold as it stands now. Obviously, these things can change. But right now, all of our research and data does suggest that there is some opportunities for some uh, earlier colder weather in December. And maybe we are closer to normal in January and February, but obviously being three, four, five months away, we're still kind of refining that. But definitely want to keep an eye on December uh, for some early potential cold. And then typical winter conditions are, are certainly pretty pretty darn cold to begin with. So Winter is is, uh, is never fun. (laughs) (laughs) No, absolutely not. Well, uh, we will have to keep the forecasts going, the radars running in our background, as I'm sure many producers are doing here. Ed Valley, thank you so much for sharing about the upcoming weather trends. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, again, a big thank you there to Ed and... uh, Didn't mention this with Ed, but you can always interact with him on Twitter as well, at EdValleyWX on Twitter. He's always tweeting some great stuff there. And definitely knows his weather information, his weather knowledge. So, folks, I know you are itching to get in the combines. You're itching to get harvest rolling, and we want to see pictures. We want to hear from you, so please send us those pictures of... What's going on in your neck of the woods? You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Ag News Daily. Or as I mentioned earlier in the episode, if you'd like to come on and be a guest or you know somebody that you think would be a great guest to have on the podcast, please shoot us a note as well. With that, folks, I hope you all have a safe, dry weekend. We'll see you right back here on Monday. (laughs) 